Welcome to episode 258 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Thursday, 1st of October, 2020. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show, I'm talking with Chris Boardman, Greater Manchester's Walking and Cycling Commissioner. Now, socially distanced by about 175 miles, we discussed a spades in the ground announcement of 55 miles of protected routes for cyclists in Greater Manchester and 140 new crossings for cyclists and pedestrians. And Chris also talks about his long-term plans for a national change of culture, getting Brits out of cars. What's being announced tomorrow and why is it so special? Because it's not all been, you know, announced before. Good point. Um, Yes, it has. And I think um, what's happened over the last two years has been a huge amount of work to mobilise, which isn't very newsworthy and People don't really want to know how you get it done. But we've just said, we said in at the end of 2017, actually, right, we're going to do this and we're going to do it region wide. And we spent, as you know, about six months pulling together a plan in record time, really, uh, that the whole re for the whole region that's added up to over 1,800 miles. Um, and then we've had to employ the people, get the engineers, start to do consultation. So there's an awful lot involved in, in, getting ready to deliver and we're at last there and it's been painful um, but now we know that by uh, the end of next year we'll have the first 50 miles in so it's the start of delivery uh, and for me I, you know I it's my intention that it, it's the start of a revolution in the way we travel in Greater Manchester and in the last six months we've proved just how necessary that is and for how many different reasons it's necessary um, so it's just uh, to celebrate and to reconnect people with this project and remind them just how bloody brilliant it's going to be. And have you had buy-in equally from all the different councils or have some been a bit you know, more amenable to it and others less so? No, we've got champions. We've got, I mean, Salford is, is a prime example of uh, one of the districts that was already on this mission and they're going to start delivering early. Um, but we're seeing a reasonable ambition from every every one of them. But it, I think from the start, I said that one, we're not going to allocate money equally. We're going to allocate it to those with the ambition. And if you don't want to, if you want to do something good, then we'll fund it. But if you don't, that's your choice. And I think it needs to be that way, really. I think we need to actually prove the point. And I, because you want to get to a point where you have a low traffic neighborhood and the people next door are complaining because they haven't got one, and then you're really off. So leading by example is important. Um, and I think we've, we've got a huge amount of projects to create that, um, 
healthy competitiveness, I think. And then you mentioned before about the community involvement, and that and as part of that, that what was Brian Deegan and his crew, and he, he and his yeah. crew go in and they ask people, you know, where where are your bottlenecks? Where where do you feel, you know, that it's dangerous for you? And then it's post-it notes and all that kind of stuff. So how important of an element is that to, to this going forward? I think it's um, it's critical, really. Because how people understand what you're doing and, and keeping control of what this is about and stopping people hijacking the message uh, is essential. I think as we as we both know, it shouldn't be, but communication is more important than the product. Because if you allow uh, this to be painted as this is going to be terrible, it's going to ruin business, they're ripping out disabled parking spaces. If, if you allow that to become the messaging, then people won't support but if you say this is making space so your kids can ride and walk to school these crossings uh, are going to actually enable your kids to go out and play with their mates without you if you actually keep on message and make sure that people understand what it's for then you'll get support and the best way to, to do that is is not to do it retrospectively it's from the start so you mentioned brian deegan who is part engineer part activist he's got quite a few different hats but we, when we went to councils, the first thing that Brian wanted to do, which, and it was totally his idea, I just adopted it immediately, was uh, he, he gave them the pen, figuratively and literally, and said, tell me where you can't go with pram, or you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to walk with your kids and you, you wouldn't let them ride a bike. Tell me why not. Um, so if that's a really busy road, where would you want to get across it? And they draw on the map. And so we, we let them tell us what they wanted to be able to change the way they travel and so it is their network and then we put it out as a draft for everybody in greater manchester online and got four thousand comments in a month saying and our biggest complaint was where's ours and i I think um if anything has come from the project i've been involved with for the last three years that it's give give the pen to the people who live there and let them decide and that includes the right to do nothing because they have to choose what it is that they want. But I'm amazed by people, how positive people are once you give them control, not not faux control of, oh, no, we want to have your opinion. But genuinely, if you don't want to do this, we don't do it. Um, people respect that and then take it seriously. And then it becomes theirs, not yours. And that's essential. And how much in cash terms and how much in actual things going in on the ground are walking and how much are cycling? Because I've heard you many times before talking about, because clearly people recognise you from your, your previous career yeah. and your current career, in fact, uh, and they, they see you clearly as a, as a, a cyclist. But then you've said, and you, you, you've been gone on record saying, well, actually, it's the walking elements that are potentially more transformative, potentially what I'd, I'd more like to do. So is that something that you absolutely stand by and and how much so the elements how much is walking and how much is cycling well first of all we try not to separate them because they should be happy bedfellows these are uh, activities that require space and and they should coexist we uh, just to clarify though we don't we we very very rarely fund anything that's shared space because once you get a speed difference, it doesn't work. Then the person on a bike becomes the hostile element. So we, we respect the hierarchy. That walking is going to be the most convenient and easy solution for most people. So it's the most important. So of the 55 miles that will be in by next year, 
100 we're going to put 140 new crossings in and we're looking at the 20,000 cross um, side road crossings across the region um, and as you'll know we're spending half a million pounds doing a, a study to prove that crossings as used around the rest of the world at side roads on the desire lines help and they will reinforce a right that people walking have forgotten that they have because to assert that right they have to walk out in front of a car <laughs> so understandably people don't do it so no walking is um it's hard to make it visible it's it's hidden in plain sight every day but it is more important than riding bikes having said that the thing that's going to get people out of cars is going to be bikes because that replaces your three to five mile journeys, which is two thirds of all the journeys that are made in the country, never mind uh, Greater Manchester. So, Greater Manchester ha- has excellent public transport. So, trains, trams, buses. So, how much of the work that you've done on the B network will take, as you've said, talked about there, really, will take passengers away from them, from public transport, rather than attract motorists, get motorists out of cars? Well, I think you'll get some of that, and that's not a bad thing in general for uh, Greater Manchester. If, you, if you're getting people to ride and walk rather than be sedentary, then the, then you, you've still got a winner. It's not as big a win as you're getting people out of a car. But ultimately, if you get people travelling actively, you've got a net gain. Um, but I, th- I suspect that a lot of the journeys will be part journeys. So I'm going to um, ride into uh, Manchester tomorrow with Andy Burnham on his route, and it's an hour and a half journey for him. And that's not sustainable on a daily basis. You just can't do that. But what he might do is ride down to the station, jump on the train, pick up a hire bike at the other end and do the last mile or so to the office. So that's how we see it working. That's the vision that Andy has. It's, it's actually this is part of our network. Um, and the intention is in, in a few years time to have an integrated ticketing system for bike hire, for trams, for trains that's capped. And so you can use any mode. You can mix and match depending on the day, the weather, where you're going, and and it will be capped uh, for the day. And that's what's in train at the moment, and this is a part of it. So the point is to give people a choice, an easy choice not to have to drive. Um, And I I think we we kind of have to, really. There's there's no option to keep driving. It just doesn't work. So how how far are you down the line with, with the cycle hire scheme? Uh, the new cycle hire scheme. First phase will be on the ground next, uh, early next year in the spring. Um, it's been really. Have you hard. announced who's doing it? Pardon? So have, you, have you announced who's doing it? Who's the? No, who's the agency. We have the with? last three firms. So we, we're doing some work in parallel. So we're out to tender now, uh, and we have contracts have gone out to firms to to um, to actively bid. So we've narrowed it right down to a very small number, um, and in the meantime. We know where the parking needs to be. We know where all the pick-up and drop-off points. So all the things about the tedious stuff about planning permission and making sure that there's space there, all of that's happening in tandem so we can speed up delivery. Um, and we'll do, it, we'll do it in a phased approach because to do a whole city region is obviously, um, um, well, it's massive. It will be geographically bigger than London. So we're starting with uh, phase one is in the regional centre, so Salford and Manchester. So to get it going there and then work outwards. And, and where does e-scooters uh, fit into this ecosystem? Um, e-scooters is something I'm very interested in, but I'm keeping it at arm's length, uh, to be honest, because 
The studies that I've seen show that they get people off bikes. They don't get them out of cars. And mm. the potential for conflict, if you, don't, if you haven't got if – if we had lots of cycle lanes now, then that's where they'd go. But right now, the potential for conflict with pedestrians is high. What I do like about them is they're a travel disruptor and they're another client, if you like, for bike lanes. So that's a good thing. But I don't want to get confused because e-scooters, um, they don't make you fitter and they're not necessarily getting somebody out of a car. So they're not the highest on my list. What I recognize is they're good fun. People are really interested in them. That they may be a client to give uh, for bike lanes that gives more emphasis, um, more reason to build more bike lanes. So I think it's quite a good thing, but it's not directly within my remit. It's a potential future client. Okay, and and do you know the average car ownership or use stats, Greater Manchester? It is for Greater Manchester. It is a third of households don't have access to cars in Greater Manchester, and that's considerably higher i think it's over half in manchester itself and what are you doing so you're doing some good stuff here uh, encouraging people to get onto bikes to walk more what are you doing to discourage motoring physically discourage motoring i think most first and foremost is we have to give people an option uh, to an alternative because once you've built this is where I'm a, a pragmatist. Once, once you've built a car-centric society and you've let people build their lives around using cars, you can't just say, oh, you can't do that now until you've provided an alternative. So cycling and walking is a solution, a viable, genuine solution, as you know, for about two-thirds of all journeys. Um, and, uh, and then for the rest, trains and trams need to be integrated and become really regular, particularly in the case of trains. The train service has been dire. Uh, serving Greater Manchester. The lines are there, but the service is bad and it needs upgrading. So all of those things need to happen. So by making um, pavements for people, so tackling antisocial parking on pavements, things that you, you you couldn't get a double buggy down, so you know you, you can't allow that to happen. So we need to reclaim the pavements um, by filtering neighbourhoods. So you're not stopping people driving but you, you can't run through a neighbourhood. All of these things make other modes of transport more attractive and more competitive. So I wouldn't say I'm trying to reduce car use directly. It might be semantics. I'm trying to make other options much more viable and much more competitive uh, and make them closer to live. And attractive. And more attractive, yeah. What's being announced uh, uh, tomorrow, how much of that has been... Uh, stymied by covid and how much has actually been boosted by covid well it's a, good, it's a good point i mean 25 miles of the stuff that we're intending to put in is is pop-up routes that are from low low traffic neighborhoods through to um semi-permanent so you know using bollards and um um oh, what are they called i can't remember now wands and orcas so we're going to accelerate some stuff. And I, I, it's also, I think, given some confidence that we showed that people want to do it. You know, people went, I don't know if you saw any of the features I did for the BBC or ITV over the last month, but we we effectively turned off traffic globally and inadvertently started a consultation. And so for whatever reason, be it I'm bored, I've got bored kids, I need to get to work and the buses aren't running at my shift times, all of those reasons People showed that if you give them safe space, 
they'll ride bikes. Um, and I think that should give everybody a huge amount of confidence that this isn't, oh, they won't do it in the UK. Well, they did. Uh, and there are lots of different reasons they did. And so if you make this space, people have shown you that they will use it. And that confidence, I think, councillors can take it and are taking to accelerate schemes. Manchester itself is uh, is doing quite a good job now of accelerating schemes that they had on the books because they also know that this uh, measures are likely to be in place for several months to come yet and they don't want to be locked down completely. So they don't want people cramming together on buses and trains. So an awful lot of the funding, well, all of the funding, in fact, for, for, for pop-ups uh, nationally has come from the national... Tory government and yet on the ground it seems that Tory councils aren't that keen at implementing Tory policies and it tends to be Labour councils that actually want to implement <laughs> want a better word uh, uh, Tory yeah, policies yeah, so po- politics how, yeah, how is uh, the politics play into all of this well people are scared of change um, and I think for, for me I have to put myself in somebody else's shoes uh, and understand where they're coming from. I don't have to agree with them, but I know that if a, a local councillor might be a locksmith or work in a shop and they're doing this part-time and somebody's having their life changed, so I, I'm going to take some parking from outside of your shop, and that person is screaming down my ear saying, this is horrendous, you're going to ruin my business, I'm already scared to death around covid and that council has to see this person when they go and buy their bread day in, day out. So I understand that I get it that people don't necessarily, they don't get into the details and the facts and why it's good for the bigger picture. They've got to deal with people on the ground. And so not everybody will support everything, but the majority do. Um, and as we found from recent surveys, for every person that objects, there's six that support. And we need to remember that. And we need to give that silent majority a voice. Uh, and I hope the majority of councils will stand up for the majority. They do seem to be wavering, though. So there was this, this, there was enthusiasm, yeah, and then it just, it, a lot of it just faded away, and then they took schemes out. And in Manchester, even, there were some schemes that looked quite ambitious and then were taken yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, the A56 was uh, was scaled back. Actually, it was scaled back. It's still the longest in the country, but it was scaled back at a point where there was a problem. But most of the problems were actually caused by roadworks that were going on slightly further down so they amended them and they took sections out but of course it hit the press as it's all being ripped out well it wasn't actually it was just amended but um yeah um, and it's not everybody's going to support it um because it's change and it's scary uh, and that's where you need political will and this is really where we need government to actually step back in and remind people that they are committed to this task because they've gone very quiet since may so they made some groundbreaking statements and said, we have to do this for our country's health, to protect our public transport, to stop having a second lockdown, to help people who don't have cars, which we seem to forget about in the short term. And in the longer term, give us all a chance to try something different that we don't have to commit to. And then if we like it in six months, we can keep it. There's all of these good reasons, but we need government to support it and to keep showing that ongoing support um, because that really helps councils when they have to do something that's disruptive to the status quo. Then it's pretty scary when it looks like government's gone silent and hang on a minute, I'm going to be left holding the can here. You're not going to support me to see it all the way through. So some noise from government right now would be very welcome. Mm. 
Because Gilligan has never really put his head above the parapet, but he was clearly behind a lot of the DFT's letters. They, they had the language of Gilligan through and through. Yeah, Andrew Gilligan. I think it's very clear that Andrew Gilligan is a trusted advisor to the Prime Minister and his writing is very clear in a lot of the communication with councils, the, t- the directives that have come out um, and the forcefulness and clarity of it. Um, absolutely his writing is clear but ultimately he is an advisor it's the ministers um, that need to stand up for this and it'd be really good to hear the health minister standing up for it as well to actually get all of the people that will benefit from changes Uh, you really want to protect the NHS then start clapping for bike lanes not just the NHS staff themselves because we can take the strain off it just by changing the way we travel Mm -hmm. Uh, you were quoted in the press release the other day for the active um, uh, is it travel transport, active travel agency. What the the the, the Laura Laker thing? Um, Change the press guidance yeah, exactly. guidelines. The, the, the press. Guards, thank you. So you were quoted in that that that, yeah. that press release, and then the Daily Mail has. I don't know if they've even looked at the press release, but they or even looked at the guidelines. But they've come out with a story, uh, which is basically they're assuming that this is a war against the motorists, and that, that the guidelines want to remove things like lycra outs have got to be banned and that kind of stuff, which aren't actually in the guidelines. Yeah. So when do you think that part of the media, which represents you know a fair chunk of the public, when will they be on board with walking and cycling changes? But I guess especially cycling changes well i can't speak for people i can't understand um i think ultimately we need to make sure as a just to double back to something i said earlier that the the six people for every one that support this we need to make sure that they're well represented and we don't let other people own and twist a message when what laura laker and um, martin porter are asking for is guidelines that say how things should be reported, which is essentially is just tell facts, right? Just just give the facts and use language that portrays the reality, not your personal view. Um, and I don't think the newspaper that you've just mentioned has ever been constrained by facts. Um, and is you know any newspaper that calls high court judges the enemy of the people. You, you know, you've already made a choice by by reading it, so I can't really talk mm. to it. And then, last question, uh, Chris, and this is almost an impossible one to answer, I think, or maybe you've got very strong views on this. But how long is this project going to take? Does this project ever end? What, what's 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 the timescale? No, it's quite a good question, actually. Uh, the timescale when I started it was ten years, um, and we said, right, we want to put in a network across Greater Manchester in 10 years and you need a time frame because you need a yardstick that says, how are we doing? Um, and right now, it's 50, 55 miles is a great number. It's meaningful and it's large, but it's quite a small part of 1,800 miles. But now we can look at that and say, can we go faster? How do we go faster? Because we've got a, a destination, eight years' time. Uh, we have something we want to achieve in eight years. How 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 much closer to that can we get? I think if you don't state a time frame, and I don't like this kick it down the road to by 2050, because anybody who's made those decisions won't be accountable by that point. I want meaningful, relatively short-term um, objectives to meet. 
I think it's very healthy to do that. I think it's going to be very challenging now to get it done in eight years. There has been some setbacks with COVID, but mostly because it's taken us a lot longer to get mobilised than we wanted. But now we're off and we have to celebrate that as well. So that's, that's sorry, I've got a supplementary question. Um, so that's, that's Manchester, Greater Manchester. I, I, hopefully you would then be a catalyst. Uh, London is also a catalyst here uh, for other parts of the UK. So how long will that project take? Well, that's up to a government. You know, this is genuinely anything that's culture change for a nation, then it has to be government led. Or what's the point of government? You may as well just have your little fiefdoms and you all get together for a conference. This is national change. And so government must lead it and they can choose. And the announcement they made in May, if they stick by them, if they reinforce them, if they back them up with resources um, and also with legislation, I mean, it's been said that if you if you don't do this, then this will count against you for all of your transport funding. I mean, that's proper strong language. If if they continue with that, they can make it happen very quickly. The point of me coming to Greater Manchester was to try and create an example on such a scale. It was unignorable nationally. Um, and that's still the mission because that's what we work well with in the UK, examples. Um, we, want, uh, we want the fear of missing out to be not having a bike lane and an active neighbourhood rather than not having a motorway. Um, And I think we can make that change. Otherwise, I wouldn't be wasting my time with it. Uh, But it's not going to be easy and it will depend very much on government. I think the beauty of some of the things that have been done by this government is whatever denomination is in next, no one's going to want to unpick what they do. So, and that's a good thing. Thanks to Chris Boardman there, and thanks to you for tuning in for today's episode via whatever podcasting client you use. The next episode will be uploaded to that client for you real soon. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.